Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. In this episode, we discuss our experiences on the Camino. Hello, Carolyn. Welcome to Threshold Stories. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You know, um, some people come on here and I know nothing about them. Some people I know really, really well. And you're kind of in that middle right here, you know, of, of us trying to get to know each other. We know each other through the Charlotte Area Peace Corps Association, yeah. which is already a niche. Because I don't know how many people are in Charlotte, something like a million. And what is there, like 60 or 70 of us yes. that are in that organization? Yep. Yep. Pretty small stuff here. So you were telling me a story at our recent event that we had in CAPCA, as we call ourselves. And um, I want to delve into it. Okay. Because too many people have heard of it, Care of Hollywood, but they don't know anything about it. Yep. So um, you walked El Camino. I did walk El Camino, yep. Wow. Yeah. So I say, wow, people don't know what I just said, other than that it's a palindrome, right? Right. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. What is the Camino, or what is El Camino? Okay, so the Camino, or the Camino de Santiago, it's also called the Way of St. Uh-huh. James, is really? a okay. pilgrimage route. Um, and it uh, there are actually several different routes, but they all culminate in the city of Santiago de Compostela, which is in Spain, uh, northwestern Spain. Um, and it is believed that uh, the remains of the Apostle James um, are buried in Santiago. Um, and there's a lots of different theories about... So where do you start? So you start... So I did what's called the French Way. French Way is the longest route. It's 787 kilometers, or for those of us who are not as familiar with the metric system like most Americans, it's 500 miles. Um, and so I started in southern France. You start in a absolutely darling, quaint, you almost don't want to leave it town called Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. Um, and and that, since you know French, that really helps. It helped. It definitely helped. And I really almost didn't want to leave because it was charming and French and, you know, bread and wine and all that good stuff. But um, that was my purpose was to be there for one night and to get on my way. So you, mm-hmm. uh, you start in southern France wow. um, and you walk. So it is basically a pilgrimage. So it's been around for about a thousand years. Um, it's evolved over time. When the pilgrims first started walking um, the route, started walking the mm-hmm. way, um, you know, they were doing it for very different reasons than most people do it today. So, so, so when you say walking, yeah. a lot of people conclude, you know, um, Shoes, shirt, hat, maybe a walking stick, maybe not. You were carrying stuff, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. So go through what you were carrying for this trek or this hike, this walk. Yeah. So I had a, a tr- I forgot the size of my backpack. I had a, a so you had a backpack. I had huh? a backpack, um, and I had everything that I was going to need or thought I needed. We can talk more about that, and you learn pretty fast. You don't need everything in the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my backpack carried, uh, you know, clothing, um, toiletries. Uh, I did have a journal. Um, but basically, it's all your stuff, your provisions for your walk. And I had planned. So, again, it's 787 mm-hmm. kilometers. When I set out to do it, I set out to do the whole thing. Um, and so I had given myself around 37 days to walk it. So I say that to say in my bag was... 37 days of life. Of life, yes. That's So did you assume you were going to have opportunities to do things um, in the middle that included laundry? Uh, yeah. I mean, I had, I had uh, detergent in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, people had told me, you know, you're going to hand wash your clothes along the way, so you mm-hmm, better sure. have some detergent. Um, I had a, a, a wise friend of a friend who gave me maybe one of the best pieces of advice, which is bring a ton of safety pins. Because when oh. you do your laundry and you go to put it on the line, there's a, usually a limited amount of clothespins, and all the pilgrims are fighting for the 10 clothespins. Oh, Not right. really fighting. It's a very peaceful thing. But, you know, you're trying all angling. And then you have safety pins, and you can just hang your clothes on the line with safety pins. It's amazing. So probably the Peace mm-hmm. Corps volunteer in me should have known that. Right. Um, but, yeah, so in my bag was... How much your bag weigh? I did not weigh my bag. And that was uh, intentional uh, okay. because, so in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, there's a pilgrim office. And so you start out at the, the pilgrim office. Mm-hmm. You and have you, to like register and... Yeah, you get, um, so you, you you have to register as a pilgrim and you get what's called a credential or a, a passport. And so I had what was called a pilgrim passport. What's that in French? Uh, passport. 
Oh, it's too easy. Yeah, it's too easy. Sorry. I was giving you a chance to show off I and know. sound like totally sexy for everybody to hear, but it didn't happen. Un pasbor. Um, <laughs> no or, joy. Or a credencial in Spanish. Um, but at the Pilgrim uh, office, uh-huh. they have a scale. And they encourage you to weigh your backpack, and your backpack should not be more than 10% of your body weight. Um, that's so what they're telling you? That's what they tell you. And I was a little bit scared to find out how much my backpack weighed, so I thought ignorance was bliss, and I decided not to, to carry my backpack, or weigh my backpack. It was, I mean, I will say, I think I packed pretty well, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I did, you know, I think this is a very American thing. Um, you know, I had extras of things. I had, you know, so I'm kind of picky about sunscreen, and, you know, going to be, even though I had a hat, I thought I'm probably not going to wear the hat. I need to have sunscreen. I have fair skin. You know, I had like, it's embarrassing, Jeff. I had like four tubes of sunscreen. I mean, it's, you know. Four tubes of sunscreen for 37 days. Yeah, because you think, oh, well, I'm going to have to slather it so up. So for the audience, what month were you walking in? I started on August 25th. And what was the temperature like in Southern France at that time? Uh, Hot, actually. Um, I mean, hot when you're going to be walking in the sun sure. all day. So it was probably in the 80s. Um, and I mean, beautiful, I mean, beautiful weather, sunny, mm-hmm. um, you, some, you, some days you sort of wish it would be overcast because, right. you know, it's not a lot of shade. Um, and there were days where I walked, um, you know, I'm not an early riser in real life, but I would get up and there were a couple of days where I was walking at 6.15, 6.20 while it was still dark out because you're trying, you want to walk before the sun comes up. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, so um. You know, the Camino does things to people. And, you know, you probably get this asked often, like, what did it do to you? Or what did you get out of the Camino? Now that you have a uh, an audience where you're not in a hurry, right? There's no phones here. There's no calendars. Um, let's talk about what it was doing to you in that first week. Because that's a different experience than the last week, right? Yeah, yeah. So this first week, you've gotten through all the logistical anxiety of getting there and last second check-in check-outs and next thing you know you're in the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. So talk about that, that first couple of days crossing the Pyrenees. What was that like for you? So the first couple of days and I and I didn't know this and I should preface it by saying I didn't really plan for this trip um, and that's also not really in my character um, but it was sort of a a little bit on a whim kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it really came, the trip, We're gonna get to that. The trip came together in maybe two weeks. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I did not know that the first two days are the toughest physically, but also the most spectacular in terms of, I mean, you're walking across the Pyrenees. Um, so it's, the views are amazing. It's very, you know, you've got like the cows with the bells around their neck and, you know, the sheep and, you know, it's just really the sounds of it's you and nature. And so you are walking on a road, but it's not a well-traveled road. So So is it a paved road? It's a paved road, Um, you know, through (laughs) just beautiful. I mean, the Pyrenees are stunning. And again, everything. I've cycled in them and I I thought they were wow every, every day. Yeah. So it's. Wow, every day, over those first few days, coupled with, ow, oh my God, oh my gosh, I think I have a blister, uh, my backpack is killing me. Um, you know, physically, the first two days, I think, are, are the toughest, because, at least for me, they were, because, and I'm not an athlete, um, you know, your body is not conditioned, so I, mm-hmm. I wasn't conditioned, um, I love to walk, I wasn't intimidated by the walking, the walking is actually, a, was a big draw for me, but... Um, you know, you're not used to carrying. So let's, you asked me how much my backpack was. I don't know. Let's say it was, you know, uh, let's say it was 15 pounds, right? You're not used to walking around your daily sure. life with 15 pounds. So, um, so the first two days are, and I'll say the first day, um, I was probably pretty cocky. You know, I thought oh, I can do this. Like, you know, right. and, and I would, I passed a couple other pilgrims on the trail who, I am a little embarrassed to say this, you know, did not appear to be in the best physical shape. And I thought, well, God bless them. And that's amazing. And I hope they have a great pilgrimage, but like, that's not me. You like, know, I, in the South here, we say, well, bless their heart. Yes. Bless their heart. You know, God bless them, bless their heart. But, you know, but you know, you're a little cocky. You think, oh, sure. I, I can do this. Um, 
And by the and also, passing them only feeds that absolutely foolish thought. Yeah, right? and I'm a and I'm a fast walker by nature, and so I'm walking fast. And some people are sort of telling me like, sure. "Oh, like you need to slow down." And I'm not walking fast to show off. I just I'm also excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the first day, I only walked uh, eight kilometers, and that was intentional. I had um, I had again, I didn't really plan it, but I had been given some advice to stop eight kilometers in because there's a um, albergue, which you become very familiar with the albergues. It's basically a hostel. Um, but I had been told that this albergue at eight kilometers in has just a breathtaking view of the Pyrenees. And that also after eight kilometers, I would be ready to stop. And that was very, very true. I mean, a beer never looked so good to me as when I got to that place. Um, but the first two days, you know, it's, it's a mix of emotions. I mean, you're excited, you're here, you know, you're sort of like, it's a pinch me, like, am I mm-hmm. really doing this? You know, everywhere you look is, you know, to your point is like a wow moment, um, yep. coupled with, oh, okay, I'm feeling some things in my body that don't feel so great, sure. but you know, so you're it's, getting your walking legs as yes. those of us who've done the Appalachian Trail yes. hiking legs. Yes. Although it took me days to get my walking legs. So you're done with the Pyrenees. When I say done, you mean you're out of the up, down, up, down, up, down yeah. after how many days? Basically two days. Yeah. Two days. And yeah. then you're hitting the North, Northern ridge for lack of a better phrase of spain of right? spain yeah so the yeah. the, uh, the uh, mediterranean's to your right a few yeah. miles away yeah and the left is all of spain yeah all of spain and it's overwhelming i mean you think so this is where i think like the cockiness kind of dissipates a little bit because so the the camino is marked and it's marked with arrows uh what color yellow arrows um and you become very attuned to these yellow arrows um but it's also marked with uh how many kilometers are left. And so, you know, if you've been walking for two days, three days, uh, and you see a sign that says 700, 723 to go, you think, oh, oh, you know, it just, it feels overwhelming. And so when you say, yeah, to the West of you is all of Spain. I mean, you, I felt that sense of like, oh dear God, to the West of me is all of Spain. (gasps) Um, so it's, uh, so you're, 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 Terrain changed throughout the trek, didn't it? It did. It did. And your climate changed too, didn't it? Uh, it did. Yeah. yeah. What, so go through that, you know, like a, a minute-esque of right. what that climate change was like. Because I know the, the Pyrenees as a cyclist, you know, it's cool mornings, hot, dry afternoons, yeah. all weather possible. Yeah. So you cross the Pyrenees. They're now to your behind. Behind, yeah. And, and what then, do you got? And then you're, the next couple of days we're actually walking more in wooded paths, which was actually kind of nice. It was great to have the shade. Um, it feels a little more foresty, forestry. It's uh, not really a word, but you get what I'm we saying. We get it. Yeah. Forest. I mean, you'd say forest and people get it. Yeah. Um, still a lot of farms. Um but again, you know, still. And pretty you're still hot. saying it barracks every night. I'm sorry. You're still saying it those barracks. Oh, yes, you're still saying barracks. Yeah. So I stayed at albergues almost every night. I did splurge and stay in a hotel, and not like a don't think American hotel, but you know, like a pensione. I stayed in a hotel, I think, four nights, and other than that, I stayed in albergue. And I say that because that's also part of the experience. So the albergue. It's a hostel. Um, so if you've ever traveled, people have traveled around Europe, you did the thing when sure, they were 20, yeah, yeah. 21. Um, don't think hostel, like party scene. Think, um, you know, pretty bare bones, sparse, bunk beds, co-ed. Um, so you could have eight people in the room. I stayed in a municipal albergue that had 30 of us in one room, um, you know, from all over the world, you know. So from yeah. my time in Europe staying at the hostel equivalents, I always found the um, people I would meet at the hostel were almost always some of the most interesting parts of the whole trip. Yep. Do you got anybody um that stands out from that trip that you remember? Personalities, there's, flavors, or a couple people? There's a lot of people. I mean, I, I've... You just, still ta- you still stay in tune with any of them outside I, of social media? Uh, I do, yeah. I just got a message from someone this morning from a German girl named Helena that I met very early on. Um, and we, you know, would sort of be walking the same pace. We would uh, end up staying at the same albergues. Um, but there's a lot of people. I mean, I think that's one of the remarkable things. And that's one of the things that surprised me the most about the Camino is... Um, I am a introverted person. Um, I'm someone who's very comfortable being by herself. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy my own company. Um, but when you do the Camino, there's so many pilgrims from around the world. And 
it was really great to have that sense of community with them and to mm-hmm. form that sense of community. And it surprised me because I wasn't expecting to do that. I thought, and I had a reason for doing the Camino. I needed that time for myself. Um, I thought if I meet some people along the way, that'll be nice, but that's not really my purpose. Um, so you and I connected on, on um, the issue throughout the year, because throughout this year, you wouldn't have, but we both struggled with the loss of parents. Mm-hmm. But we've bridged it a couple of times now. Let's, 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 let's jump into some of the meat of it all. You're a married, middle-aged woman yep. in the middle of regular America, and you go to Europe by yourself for more than a month, mm-hmm. and you're married. Did I mention that already? Yeah. Back into that. What made you want to do this? So, you know, I'll give you the big lofty answer, then I'll just give you the real kind of in the weeds answer. I mean, you know, I have a sense of wanderlust. Um, I love to travel. I, you know, I... If I someday could wave that magic wand and figure out how to finance, you know, and be a professional traveler, that would be my my occupation, my vocation. Terrorism. <laughs> it is so cost effective. Just be a terrorist twice a year and you're good. You're like, uh, all, the, all right, keep going. Okay. So I'm open to suggestions. Maybe not that suggestion, but yeah. So, I mean, I have a sense of wanderlust. Um, and I think that's defined my life in a lot of ways. Um, but... Um, about a year and a half ago, um, mm-hmm. my mother got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, mm-hmm. which was is a shocking diagnosis for anyone. Um, it felt particularly shocking because my mom has always just been like the healthiest person I know. I mean, I'd go on a road trip with her and I'd say, oh, mom, do you want a snack? And she'd say, oh, I brought my own. And she'd bring out some lettuce. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say like this is mm-hmm. my mom was like the healthiest eater. She was into, I mean, she was really ahead of her time. I mean, she was into like, you know, mind, body, spiritual connection, just, um, she was just very mindful about how she cared for herself. Sure. And so it felt doubly shocking um, to get that, to have, uh, hear that news. Where where did she live at that time? Uh, in Charlotte. Okay. In Charlotte. And I was actually living overseas when I got this news. So I was living in Guinea in West Africa. I was doing a short-term assignment, another assignment for the Peace Corps this, through something called Peace Corps Response. And so I had gone to Guinea to do a short-term assignment for six months with the World Food Program. And uh, I'll never forget, two days before Christmas, my sister called me and said, um, I-, I need to tell you something. And it's what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. Um, and she proceeded to tell me that our mother had stage four breast cancer. Um, so fast forward, um, the Camino was something that I had wanted to do for a while. It had been on my buck, my quote unquote bucket list. Um, and I almost did it in 2018. Um, and you know, I'm so grateful, you know, the universe, the Holy spirit, whatever you want to call it. Something said to me, I'm going to call it the Holy spirit. Something said to me, this is not the time to do it. And it wasn't because the time when I would have done it, the time that I had sort of had some free time to do it in 2018 was really at the tail end of when my mom was doing really well. Um, so my mom got diagnosed, um, but she was doing fantastic for about nine months. Um, you know, no symptoms, mm-hmm. no signs. felt great, great energy. I mean, you would never know she was sick. She barely told anyone her diagnosis because she didn't want people's pity and mm-hmm. she wanted to live a regular life. So all that to say, I didn't do the Camino. Um, in 2018, and I'm so grateful that I didn't because it allowed me to have some really, really good quality time with my mom while mm-hmm. we were able to enjoy all the things that we like to do together. Sure. And I should say that my mom and I had a very, very close relationship. Um, so um, fast forward, my mom's health starts to decline towards the end of 2018, kind of goes a little bit upwards on 2019, beginning of 2019, and then goes downhill really fast um, in the spring of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom ended up passing away on May 10th. Um, and, you know, it was a blessing in a lot of ways that it went fast because she didn't have sure. a lot of prolonged suffering. Um, selfishly, um, you know, I genuinely believe we had more time. I, re- I really, really, I was very aware of her diagnosis. I didn't have my head in the sand, mm. but I really thought we had more time. Um, so my mother passed away um, uh, in May. May. Mm-hmm. And I had also been her caretaker for, you know, the last um, several months of her life, which is for anyone who's been a caretaker, I mean, that's an intense experience in and of itself. Um, And so my mother passed away. And three weeks later, my father passed away. And that was unexpected. Um, I mean, my father was older than my mom. He was had been living in a nursing home for many years, but he was medically stable. Um, Mm -hmm, And uh, he 
absolutely died of a broken heart. I mean, I'm convinced of that. My parents would have been married 50 years um, in June of this year. Um, and so you so lost two parents in a month. I lost, lost two parents mind. in a month, yep. Um, and in between that, uh, actually, five days after my mother died, my uncle died. Um, my father died, my husband's aunt died, and then actually just before I got on the Camino, my favorite aunt died. Um, so I had five people in my life pass away in the span of five, three, four months. Um, but that's I like a war. That's like a war to lose that many people yeah. in such a short period of time. That's what a soldier experiences. Yeah. It's, and, and it's interesting that you say that because I sometimes feel like when people talk about PTSD, that's what I feel like. I feel like I have mm -hmm. some PTSD from taking care of my mom. Uh, sure. And again, I'm so grateful I was able to do it, but it was a really difficult experience. And I sometimes have flashbacks of some of the things that we experienced together. And um, yeah, so to lose that many people... But also to go from, you know, it's for anyone who's lost parents, you know, it is this massive identity shift of, oh, you know, and I had someone say to me what I had already been thinking, but when the first person says to you, oh, you're an orphan now, and you don't really, you know, I'm 45 years old, and mm -hmm. it shouldn't hit you like in the gut, but it does hit you in the gut, like, oh, you know, these are the people that have unconditionally loved me mm -hmm. from birth, you know, through all my faults and foibles and you know mm -hmm. um for my parents when they took when my parents died because they each took a while both my dad you know died in a assisted living facility from he'd been plus or minus in and out of a year or two mm -hmm. um, my mom too my mom died started with breast cancer and metastasized to bone cancer yeah. and um both of them watching them at the end was very difficult of course it was for everybody involved for me i remember the loss was the um inability to call them Mm -hmm. I had their numbers on speed dial, yep. you know, and when my mom was near the end and I realized that I'm not ever going to speak with her on the phone, that was as, at least as much of a moment as it was when she passed away. And for my father, you know, he didn't, he wouldn't do anything about his hearing. Mm -hmm. And um, even when he did get hearing aids, that's when I recognized that his dementia was so bad yeah. that um, I'd never, I'm not going to ever talk with him on the phone again as well. So I had no contacts yeah. in my phone for any of my parents. You know, it's hard to believe that, but, but you, you know, the, the cell phone has become so ubiquitous by the identity in our culture, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you're on the phone because that your life, the, the, the things in life that you want to access quickly are accessible from that phone, right? Yeah. And realizing that your parents were no longer in that, it's like um, a lady having a, a purse with no cash, right. you know, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned that my uncle passed away five days after my mom. He did. And it was my... Uh, father's brother and when my cousin when I got the news from my cousin that mm. my uncle had passed away the first thought that went through my head was oh I need to call mom I need to call mom and tell her that he died mm. and then that was like a double shock to your point it of is. like oh I'm not calling mom like mom's gone but I still have that sense yeah, when I watched my son get the silver medal at the national championships this last two weekends ago yeah. you know I had a moment when I wanted to call my parents and say guess what your grandson did not going to get that again. Yeah. I've had those. Yeah. But I'm not getting any more. Yeah. My allotment is used up. Yep. It's like my Pez dispenser of, <laughs> of a parental contact. Is, yeah. I've just took the, I've taken the last piece of Pez out of that. Yeah. So let's um get off of that because that's, that's a heavy topic. So it's in May mm -hmm. and you decide I'm going to walk the El Camino and it's August mm -hmm. and you walk the El Camino. So you had a couple of months there where you said you were an executor of an, your, your mom's estate. Yeah, yeah. So I actually... That's a process, not an event. It's a process I'm still going through. But um, to be honest with you, the idea of doing the Camino, that idea of resurfacing and, may, and the idea of, well, maybe now is when I should do it, didn't really happen until maybe July. You know, and I, like I said, you know, I started the Camino in, in late August. So in July, I, I started to have this idea of, oh... And I had heard that if you've gone through a major life change, you know, the Camino, it's a good time to do the Camino. And I also, I wasn't working. There's a whole other piece of it that, you know, mm. I thought, okay, I have the luxury of time. When else in my life am I going to have 38, you know, days where, you know, I'm never again going to have a job or never a job where I can say to my boss, hey, you know, do you mind? I'm going to take 38 days off to just go walk. Um, <laughs> so this idea started. He says you can keep right on walking, lady. <laughs> right. Walk right out that door. So I, um, 
Yeah, but I didn't really voice this mm-hmm. idea to anyone um, except for my husband, um, who supports all my wacky ideas. Um, and um, yeah, I just, in the back of my head, I thought maybe I should do it now. Maybe. So for perspective's sake, because people now have heard some of your story, yeah, you heard a lot of other people on the on the trail yeah. tell you why they were doing it. What's, what are some of the things you remember people told you about why they were doing it? It, you know, I would say, I mean, I think if there's one unifying theme, I think everyone is a seeker in some way. Um, but it's interesting because it's a pilgrim. Can you think of any specifics that people were seeking? Like, oh. was anybody seeking peace in the Middle East or to transcend Gautam Buddhas? Yeah, it was peace. I mean, you know, what's my vocation in life? What's my calling? You know, I met many people who said, I've had a great life. I've had a very blessed life but I think there's something else. I feel like there's something else. Um, I walked with a woman who became actually a really good friend, um, a woman from Lithuania who was walking it with her two teenage daughters, her 18-year-old and 19-year-old daughter. They're actually, they live in, she's married to a German, they live in Germany, but the mom's Lithuanian. And it was interesting, the mom said she's wanted to do the Camino for 20 years. She has daughters who are 18, 19, so obviously, you know, this mm-hmm. was not really possible until her, her girls were, you know, grown and flown, as we so like So they to probably say. heard this story much of their growing youth. Yeah. So, so the mom finally said, you know, they had passed their A-levels, they were out of school, the girls were both taking a gap year. Um, and mom said, I'm walking the Camino now. And the girl said, well, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do in our lives. We'll walk the Camino with you. But the mom, my friend said to me, um, she said, you know, again, I've had a great life. She said, but I've always put everyone else first. And mm. I feel like now it's, 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 I need a little bit of time for me. You know, I just need some time for me. So I think she was seeking just some peace. She was seeking some me time. Her mm. daughters were seeking some clarity around what was next for them in life. Um, you know, I think the person who stands out the most I met on the very first day was a mm. uh, gentleman from Malaysia. And he had flown 38 hours from Malaysia to this town in southern France we started. Um, and he shared very openly, and he would share this with, with many people. Um, he, his mother had died of breast cancer 10 years ago. His sister had died of breast cancer two months prior to him getting on the Camino. His brother in the same two months had gotten diagnosed with advanced liver cancer. And so he said, I'm high risk. I know I'm high risk for cancer. There's a genetic predisposition in my family. And this gentleman also had just gone through a divorce. And I'll never forget, I mean, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, I came to the Camino to find the missing pieces of my life. Mm, mm, mm. So I, I, I- Did you see him after that day one? I did. Well, I'll tell you an interesting story. We walked together across the Pyrenees. Um, and when I say walk together, you know, kind of walking near each other. I mean, you might walk together at some point. But the other thing, about the, one of the things about the Camino that's also really beautiful is everyone just respects- you have your Camino, I have my Camino. So um, there's no pressure to feel like, oh, I got to slow down and wait for that person. Or oh, I should, right. You know, so people sort of, so you, a lot of times you're walking around each other, near each other. So someone might be some paces ahead of you, some paces behind you. But this gentleman and I, we, um, we kind of walked together for a while and then he was having some troubles with his shoes. So, you know, I would go ahead or, you know, then I would stop, he'd catch up. We were kind of always in each other's orbit. And so we walked across the Pyrenees together and, I'll never forget this. This was on the first, I know I take it back. It was the second day we're walking across the Pyrenees and I'm really hurting. Like my body is really aching. Um, and I'm walking with him and, and I think there was a part of me that thought, okay, this man has gone through, you know, mm-hmm. is dealing with some profound issues, some profound grief. I'm dealing with profound grief, you know, but you know, I felt for him, you know, I thought there was something very vulnerable and raw when he told me, you know, he was looking for the missing pieces of his life. We turn a corner and like Mm -hmm. literally Jeff, it's like straight up. It's like the next climb is like going up straight up a wall. And I'm sure in retrospect it wasn't, but that's what it looked like and felt like at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was walking ahead of me at just a few feet ahead of me. And he started singing and I won't sing because it would not be a treat for you or for your listeners, but, um, he started singing, oh my God, I trust in you. And he just over and over, this was the refrain that he was singing as we start this this ascent. And it was just a really humbling moment. Um, I thought, wow, this man has been through so much. Um, mm. And his faith was clearly just so strong. Um, and it was a real gift for me to just to have that moment. Um, mm. 
And, you know, I think there's a lot in the Camino, you know, people say trust the Camino, right? Um, And that's a refrain you hear a lot. Um, You know, I think, you know, you can interpret that in a lot of ways. Part of it is trusting yourself. You know, if you are a person of faith, you know, trusting whatever your higher power is. Um, See, the body fails us. We know at the end it turns to dust, right? That ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We've heard the phraseology. Faith doesn't, though. Faith continues on. That's the whole point of faith. It's that which cannot be seen. It's that which made that which cannot be seen. I'm certain that his idea of trusting in faith is evidence that trusting in yourself and your own decisions will fail you, that will let you down. Yeah. Especially if he'd gone through divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Can't imagine that. No, it was very, again. So let's fast forward to near the end of the trail because the person, the person's mind changes when you start seeing that you're down to double digits of K's left. Yeah. Right. 90 to go. Yeah. 70 to go. 60 to go. Talk about those last days. Those days are really interesting because it's a mix of euphoria. I mean, it really, I I feel like those last five or six days Mm -hmm. on the Camino, there was a collective sense of euphoria. And, and, And I say collective because you are walking with people that have become your Camino family. And I had heard this idea of a Camino family and I thought, oh, mm-hmm. is that really going to happen? And again, I sort of had this idea that I was just going to do it for me. And, you know, but, you know, you have, whether it was Helena, you know, who I mentioned or Victoria, my Lithuanian friend or Chantal and Richard, my friends from Canada. I mean, you, you formed a connection with folks and maybe you didn't walk with them every day. You know, there were some people that I had seen on day one that all of a sudden I saw again on day, you know, Mm. 29. And it's like seeing like a long lost relative. Um, so it is a sense of euphoria, but really collective, like, Oh, we did this and and we did it together. Mm -hmm. Um, coupled with sadness. I mean, I really felt so you're already sad. getting sad, even though I you weren't was, done yet. Yeah, yes. Um, oh. Which was such an interesting because, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, the first like five or six days, I really, my prayer was just, let me, you know, let me just, not even let me finish it. Like, let me just get through today. Let me just get through tomorrow. Let me, you know. Um, so and, for those people who do Iron Man yeah. or something like that, you get to a place when it gets to the place where you don't, it's not even let me finish, just one more left, right. Right. Yeah. Whether it's left, right on the bike, left, right on the run, just give me one more left, right, another left, right. Yep. Next, let's get to the next cactus. Yes. Or the next tree, whatever the case. Yeah. There's a, um, and maybe you know her, her name just went out of my head, but there's a a, a Catholic nun that is referred to as the Iron Nun, and I know her. She, yeah. She's a friend of mine. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I read some. I read a uh, a piece about her a couple of years ago, and she became, as you know, she became a runner. Um, later in life. Um, and she's actually good. Yeah. As a runner, she's really good. So she was asked, you know, and she said, you know, I didn't come to running because I fell in love with running. I think she fell in love with the idea of endurance, but she said, so sister Madonna, if you listen to this and you're on it, you have a, an admirer here who's never met you. Oh my gosh. I'm like, so I'm totally geeking out that you know her, but she talked about how sometimes when she's running and it's that moment where she's just like trying to get through the next, you know, little bit, how with every time her foot hits the ground, she says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that's, it becomes like almost like a a rhythm and a mantra in her head. And I definitely did that. I mean, there were definitely moments and even towards the end. I mean, again, I was excited. It was this euphoria. It's still hard, you know, and you, you turn, you think, oh, good Lord, not another hill. Not, and I, it was in my head, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Mm. All right. Since I'm going to blow, I'm going to blow one of our stories together here. So she and I are competing together for different races in Penticton, Canada in 2017. And she and I were doing literally the exact same thing and weren't aware of it. So we were approaching athletes, whether they spoke English or not, and we saw them. And more often than not, at the start of a world championship, you are rich and chock full of anxiety. You know, this isn't just a national championship anymore. This is the best from all the countries. And she would just go up to somebody and hold their hand without permission and look them in the eye and says, I see you're anxious and I see you're nervous. Let's pray. I don't, she just would grab people's hands and do it. There was a Canadian fella who had a big beard, imagine that. And um, he was a millennial and he didn't know who she was. He just did. He just, in that moment, and I had been doing that for years at races in Switzerland and, and stuff like that. And I just thought that was fascinating that she and I were both Wow. And of course, we talked about it. And That's amazing. And all that goes with that. Wow. But it's not only just left, right, Jesus, Jesus for me. Yeah. 
she's paying that forward yeah. to the next generation or two or three generations in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, when you asked me about, you know, kind of what it was like. At, Keep at, going, sister. At the end, I would say throughout the, the Camino, but, you know, and I keep coming back to this idea of community, but it is a community of pilgrims mm-hmm. who are pushing, you know, metaphorically pushing each other, you know, up the hill, you know, down the hill, because sometimes going down is did worse than going Did you tell him up. about the impact his song had on you? I did. I did. Brilliant. Later on. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you had asked me. Because so, often nice people sit on that, and yeah. they wait for moments like this to tell that story. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So we, I said, we crossed the Pyrenees together, and then I didn't see him for 15 days. And then I'm staying in some village. I'm staying at some albergue, and I turned the corner, and there he is. And I mean, he like this look of like joy came over his face and came over my face and we gave each other like, you know, this huge hug and you would have thought, oh, this is someone, you know, a bystander was said, oh, they must like belong, you know, they've known each other for years. No. Um, but I, I, it was, I felt like it was mm-hmm. a providential moment because I, I didn't, so then I thought, I don't know if I'm going to see him again. Mm. So I need to tell him how impactful his story and the walking with him was. Well done, sister. <laughs> You get one too. That's brilliant. <laughs> so, um, so you're in the last day, yeah. and you know it's coming, mm-hmm. but you really don't, right? Yeah. You're going to stop this act of getting up and walking every day. What's going through your mind? Well, so I, I, I feel like I should have some big aha moment, but I'm actually going to, I'm going to maybe spoil your, steal your thunder a little bit because what ended up happening was, um, so the day that, so there was a day that we were going to walk into Santiago. I would think it was the last day of the official pilgrimage. I was going to walk into mm-hmm. Santiago. Um, and I'll come back to that, but I also, so I walk fast. I mentioned that I ended up finishing about five or six days ahead of schedule. And so, you know, I had a plane ticket for a certain day and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? So I ended up making, I ended up deciding to walk an additional 90 kilometers to, the coast of Spain, the western coast of Spain, to a little village called Finisterra, um, which back in Roman times, they believed it was the end of the world. So the name Finisterra, the end of the earth, the end of the world. Um, and uh, that is not what most, some pilgrims do it if they have the luxury of time and they, they're physically still strong, mentally still strong. Um, so I say that to say getting to Santiago was an amazing moment, but then I also didn't have that feeling of I'm done because I had already decided, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to keep going. Um, but walking into Santiago, um, mm-hmm. and, and by now I'm walking, you know, I really, by choice, intentionally, I'm walking with my Camino family. Um, and so that was a really beautiful moment to share with people who, you know, I had some great highs with, but also they had seen me at some, really at some lows. Um, and so it feels surreal. I mean, when you are those final steps and you turn the corner and, you know, I encourage people, Google it, look it up. I mean, I, I don't know if the picture will do it justice, but the cathedral in Santiago is, is magnificent. Um, and so you turn that corner and, you know, that you see this cathedral and it almost doesn't even feel real because it's this, it, it's this idea that you've been Santiago, 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 and you finally get there. I mean, it is like a pinch me, like, mm. you know, kind of moment. Um, I think the other thing too is that, you know, I've never had a baby, I've never given birth, but I, you know, when I hear women talk about the experience of giving birth, it's like, you know, labor is miserable and painful and you know oh my gosh you know they're hating their husband and I'm never going to do this again I tried passing a kidney stone that's the closest I got okay so say you know and then when it's over with but I think the the, the, the analogy with the baby though at the end you're holding this you know beautiful precious child and you almost have like amnesia you forget what the you know the pain was like that's a little bit that's my my loose analogy of what it's like to walk into Santiago because you forget every ache, every blister, every low moment you had mentally. And I definitely had low moments mentally. Every, um, you know, just every time you thought, I can't do this. And then you get there and you think, oh, I, I did that. I did that. And and and, um, and, and, the, and really, you know, there but for the grace of God. I mean, I will say I did feel this sense of just wanting to get on my knees and just I felt such profound gratitude. Um, gratitude that I was able to do it, that physically I was able to do it, um, gratitude for the people around me, for having, you know, every single pilgrim I met on that 
uh, on the, the walk, whether I interacted with them for five minutes or for five hours or for five days, they touched me in some way. Um, mm. And, it, you know, I just continue to feel such profound gratitude for the experience. So when I got to Santiago, um, you know, it, it, it was just humbling. And, and you know, you, you're standing in front of this ginormous cathedral and, you know, you're this small. You just, I, you know, there was a sense of, like, I just wanted to fall to my knees and be like, thank you, God. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. That's pretty cool stuff right there. It's, um, you have to have had something to compare it to in life because we don't have the equivalent of a Camino experience as part of our act of rites of passage anymore. No, no. It's, you gotta, it's, it's a self-mandated, self-imposed sort of thing. Yeah. Would you have done it earlier in life and gotten the same thing out of it? I don't think so. I, you know, you never know. Well, could you do it again? Would you I, want to do it again? I would do it again. And I'll say that you meet people, probably one of the, the most recurring questions you get when you talk to other pilgrims um, is, oh, is this your first Camino? And early on, I had people say to me, oh, I'd say it's my first Camino. And they'd say, it won't be your last. Mm. And I, you know, again, this is like day four, day five. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm lucky if I'm going to get to, you know, th- I'm only lucky this is going to even be my first Camino, you know. Um, you ever think they're one of them? Yeah. <laughs> Clear out, ladies and gentlemen. I met a, uh, on the very first day, I met a, a gentleman from France who was walking it with his wife. And this was his fifth Camino. And it was the wife's first Camino. And she said, my husband has done this many times. And every time he comes home and I can see how it's marked him, how it's changed him. And he's done it four times. And he's done the same route four times. Um, Mm. She said, every time it is so clearly a profound experience for him. She said, I'm finally doing the Camino so I can finally see what it's about all for myself. So so I would like to do it again. Um, I also have this profound desire to keep walking, which is a hard thing to do in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well... To interrupt that, there's this there's this trail not far from here called the Appalachian Trail. Yes, <laughs> it's arguably one of the most well traveled trails in the planet. Yeah, on the planet, and I will bet you you will meet people from Camino on that trail. I will yeah. bet on it. Yes, well, it's on my list, um, but I just think walking in general. I mean, you know, I. My husband laughed. It's what at we're me. meant to do. Yeah, I, I mean, but I, you know, I walked like an hour the other day at the doctor just to like have like a, a routine test done. There's something about this rhythm of just putting one foot in front of the other, and also you have to be present. I mean, I think it's true for running too and probably cycling, but you know, you, you're not on your phone. You're not, and there's, I, I will say, the act of walking with someone else. I mean, if you've ever done it where you walk with someone. And I don't know if it's the act of, you know, you're, 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 you're attuned to them, but you're also, you have to pay attention to where you're going. So I don't know if it's because you're not necessarily face-to-face, eye-to-eye, that people maybe mm-hmm. let their guard down. Um, but, you know, I found this to be true on the Camino, but I think I found it true in life, too. When you walk with someone, there's a vulnerability, and people share things. So you know, there's, and, a, there's a metabolic measurable difference here. When you're walking, your blood, your sugar, your glucose... All of that is needed by your extremities, your glutes, your legs, your arms, your core. Yeah. If you're sitting and talking to somebody, it's not. Mm. So you get a hyper injection of energy and fuels to the brain that would not otherwise make it there. Yeah. Right? Yep. So yeah. what happens when you load any system with that much pressure, energy, fuel? It starts freaking out. It's the idea of going above the red line. So, of course, you're going to get a more natural, normal, amenable person yeah. If they're walking, than if they're sitting, of course. Yeah, and there and there were physiological. Times, yeah, and there were times on the Camino where physically I felt like I cannot walk another step. You know, there were some days where your legs just feel like lead, and someone would come along and we would start chatting, and next thing I knew, I mean, we're walking, you know, up an incline, we're walking, you know, or all of a sudden I look at my watch and you know two hours has passed, and if you'd if I'd been walking by myself, I would mm-hmm. have been like, oh god. You know, this isn't, you know, this is never ending. And so, yeah, it's just you that. Fly the time. Yeah. So before we, before we hit the record button and you and I were talking, you made reference to um, writing, mm-hmm. that you had a, um, a magic moment I'm going to use. You didn't say that word. I'm saying that word. Yeah. You said, you know what? I need to write. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk, talk to everybody through that. So, well, so just to put it a little bit in context, you know, um, I mentioned, you know, I kind of took a big step back professionally when my mom got sick and, you know, Mm -hmm. caretaking became a full-time job. Um, And 
So, you know, here I am, both my parents are gone. I'm not working, you know, to say questions of identity were looming large in my head um, and are still looming large in my head, you know, would not be an understatement. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I will freely admit, foolishly admit, I also thought, okay, if I do the Camino, look, I'm going to have this big revelation on the Camino. Like, all of a sudden, all will be made clear to me, and this is what I'm meant to do. And, you know, whether you call it a midlife crisis, again, grief, I mean, I think it was all those things. You're going to be the next Rembrandt slash Jeff Bezos, whatever. Yes, it's all on on kilometer number 312. It's all going to be made known to me. And there'll be a pattern in the numbers that makes it all clear. Exactly, right? And that did not happen to me. Um, You know, I, um, but what I heard, you know, I felt like, and I did all the things that, you know, people say, whether you're on the Camino or just in life, you know, about being open and sort of making your desires known and speaking it into the universe and being quiet. And, you know, I think that was probably one of the biggest gifts of the Camino was just having to be quiet, right? So you have a lot of time to think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I heard, the you know, the one thing I just kept hearing, and it was like a, it was like a soft little refrain, was, "You need to write. You need to write. You need to write." And I, it's silly, you know, because when I was a teenager, I spent many summers at Duke University's Young Writers Camp, and I loved to write. And I think there was some part of me that thought I was going to be a writer, and then reality set in, and I thought, "Oh, that's not. That's like, you know, that's just some, some crazy whimsical idea." So. I do have this theory that, you know, the things that we are attracted to at a young age, you know, there's more insight and wisdom there than maybe we're aware of. And so I feel like it's maybe coming full circle. And maybe that was the Camino's way of saying, no, there's something in you that you've kind of squashed down. um, And now is the time to to pull it, to pull it out and and to... um, and to write, so... um, To be determined as to what that looks like, though, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know, know, they say you start with a sentence a day and the next thing you know, you've written a book. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've been struck by how many people are interested in the Camino. And so I'm not saying I'm going to write about the Camino for the rest of my life, but I think that using it as a, as a departure point, as a jumping off point, um, because I, I think the people are all seek, we're all seeking something. Right. And so if some of my story or some of sharing other people's stories can be, um, can serve as guide, as comfort um, to other people, then that would be amazing. So I cannot imagine. So um, can I tell you one other thing? Please. That happened on the Camino, though, that I think, you one know. One other I, thing. I, one other thing. I know I, I say this to people all the time. And they're like, yeah, about 20 things ago, you said one other this thing. This one time at band camp. <laughs> Keep going. I, um, so I mentioned I was looking for this big aha and I was looking for the big, you know, it was all going to be laid out clearly, you know, how the rest of Carolyn's life is supposed to be. And that didn't happen. And, um, I started to get frustrated, you know, around like, I don't know, the third week, you know, now am I, I, I've gone from, I'm open, I'm listening to, you know, okay, I'm a little annoyed with you, Camino. Like, I thought, like, you know, you were going to, the star, the, the skies were going to part, and, you know, again, it was all going to be made clear. You're waiting for the scroll. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I ended up going to this Vesper service, uh, which is a, a mm-hmm. prayer evening prayer service um, in the Catholic tradition. I ended up going to this Vesper service at this teeny, tiny monastery um, in this teeny tiny austere stone church. I mean, get every idea out of your head. We're in Spain. In Spain. Spain. So, you know, not ornate, not gold, not stained glass. This very austere little church that was really just like a simple crucifix and, uh, and uh, a ton of candles. And um, I had this moment where I felt, I, I also felt like, in the same way that I felt like the Camino was telling me to write, I felt like, what I heard was just peace. You know, there's a there's a scripture passage that talks about, you know, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. And there was this sense of peace that just washed over me. And I and it washed over me in this sense of like you're going to be okay. Like, you know, did yes, you bring your that parents back are with gone. You? I did bring it back with me. Um and I and I kept it the rest of the Camino. And I say that because you know, for the first three weeks, I, there was a sense of like, okay, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. And then as you're getting closer to the end, you're thinking, I haven't, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out. What am I going to do? And it was such a, a 
a beautiful moment because it was the sense of peace that washed over, and it stayed with me the rest of the Camino. I felt like I could, the rest of the Camino, it wasn't this, okay, I'm, I'm loving this experience, I'm enjoying this experience, I'm enjoying all the people around me, but hey, I'm waiting for those scrolls to come down, you know. It was, I don't need the scrolls. It's, it's, it's fine, it's going to be fine. Um, and I did bring that sense of spirit, of that sense of peace home with me. So it's hard to, it's hard to describe, but. So the antonym yeah. of um, planned is trust, right? Mm-hmm. If you plan everything out, you mean you're not trusting God, for right. lack of a better phrase. Because you, not that, not, the, not that you have to stop planning in order to be in touch with God, but you recognize at some point that you just don't need to plan. Right. And if you trust God, that's truly good enough. And he's got lots and lots of references to that. Yeah, but it's hard to do, right? It's hard sure. for us as Americans. I'm a recover- tired of I'm a type A people. It's, I'm know. a recovering CEO. Right. Trust me, I get it. Yeah. It's, it's a part of everything nowadays yeah. for me. Yeah. Because part of my struggle in my migration away from what I had done, you know, orchestrating and thinking through of people and contracts and customers and finances and all that goes with that is I had to make decisions more often than I was willing to come to peace with yeah. because it's, I was convinced that they mattered. And now that I've broken that fallacy because I'm not in that role anymore and recognize that, you know, if I choose to mow the grass or not choose the grass, mow the grass today, it doesn't matter. Obviously, right. the grass has to get mowed. Right. But the planning and the control that I have to have, it's, it's all that's a lot of that's made up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am looking forward to seeing what you write because you know how to connect things together. You'd start a story and come back to where you were at, yeah. even if I'd interrupted you or took yeah. me somewhere else. That's part of a good storyteller. Um, are you going to write it in English? Are you going to write it in French? I'll, don't write, you know? I'll write it in English, yeah. You're going to write it in yeah. English. I'll write it in English. Start with, start with what we know. I mean, I know French, but let's, let's start with English. Sure. See the, where the spirit takes us. You know, I can't do just English. I always find myself, um, I just wanted to finish the sentence using another language, but there's so many great words, phraseologies yeah. in other languages that English hasn't figured out yet, so you just sprinkle it in. Yeah. Yeah. Profanity's that way too. English profanity <laughs> isn't always the best either. I like foreign profanity sometimes better than English profanity. Which is sometimes great because then other people don't know that, you know. And my kids grew up hearing me swear oh. in other languages, Taru and Nepali. And so now do they, they use them? Do they use those? The kids? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I think I'm the only one that swears in the house. I think, I know my wife doesn't swear. I've never yeah. heard her. I've never heard her swear. Yeah. 25 years of marriage. Wow. If you can believe that. And she lives with you. I'm she kidding. Does, I'm right? kidding. <laughs> it's right. Well, um, thanks for being on the show. It's interesting that none of the chickens have interrupted us. Normally the rooster comes on at least one time by now and makes a lot of noise. And um, we look forward to hearing you, uh, hearing about your book. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Threshold Stories, Crossing Thresholds, One Story at a Time. You're ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks. If you have any questions feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA.